All right, hey guys, welcome back to The Melanin Margin. I'm your host, Quavy Andre Williams. And I'm Daquan Wilson. And this is the talk show dedicated to bringing the marginalized to the spotlight and uplift the Black voices that will no longer stay silent. But before we get into this week's race conversation, Daquan, let's talk about Monique. Let's do it. Let's talk about Monique. So Daquan, do you wanna explain? Yeah, so, you know, I was just scrolling through TikTok one day, just being like, you know, as I do every day. And I saw saw this one TikTok that was like, oh, you know, beef of the week, like Monique drama. And I was like, Monique, like, Mm -hmm. what what happened? Because, you know, usually I'm with Monique, you know, especially with everything that was happening with Netflix. I'm with the queen. But, you know, I watched her video and she was talking about how you know, you should, Black people, especially Black women, should carry themselves with pride. And that means, you know, you can't be wearing bonnets and scarves and all that out in public and at the airport. And she was disappointed to see so many Black women wearing bonnets at the airport. And so I say that to Quaviandre, I was like, oh, I need to see what she's going to say about this. When I tell you, and I was so excited because at first it was like, oh, uh, with standing with pride or walking with pride is what it said, like the, the caption. So I was like, oh, shit, is, is she about to come out or something? Like, what's, I was like, I was ready on my toes. Like, what's about to happen? And then when she went on to just basically belittle women who wear bonnets and wear headscarves and come to uh, uh, go to the, uh, the airport looking a certain way, it's like, oh, the rich privilege for me. Right. Ooh, you know, the subtle underscore um, white supremacy for me. It's, it's like, baby, who told you this is okay to say? Because the, the crazy part is the message about being prideful of being a black woman is not the problem here. But the execution of telling people and when she really said, what really got me together, Daquan, was when she said, oh, if you are not dressed a certain way, I will not call you queen. You don't deserve that title. I said, hold up. Since when did Monique become the gatekeeper of blackness? Oh, <laughs> right. I don't remember us electing her as the official. I don't remember. Did we have that conversation? I missed a meeting, Daquan. I, I wasn't there either. So, oh. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that this is one of the things that, especially like as you look at the history of African Americans in this country, like right after slavery, Black people were dressing to the nines every day because they wanted to be seen as people and respectable and all of that. Um, So there there is this long lineage of Black people kind of over-policing what they wear in order to like, you know, cater to the white people. But it's 2021. And like, when you're going to the airport, you're going from point A to point B. These planes are uncomfortable the air up there is so drying. So like having a bonnet on to protect your hair, like what's the problem there? Like nobody is going on a runway when they go to the airport. But, you know, it would be a completely different thing if like a Kylie Jenner or a Kim Kardashian was caught in the airport wearing a bonnet or a silk scarf. And it would be like, oh, that's fashion. That's, That's the new trend. But here's my thing about it. It's the whole policing what people wear thing. I mean, I, like I said, I understand we're talking about where that comes from and where that probably ideology probably, you know, originates. But to me, it's just the policing of people just, I mean, because first of all, sometimes, baby, all you got is a bonnet. 
Sometimes you don't have the tools that you might need to make your hair look presentable. So maybe a bond is the best way that you can present yourself. First of all, this is an airport. This is like you said, this is not fashion week. Okay. Right. We're going to point A to point B, baby. I'm trying to get in and get out. Okay. And like at the end of the day, if like you said, if it was a white woman or white women doing this, they're not coming out dressed to the nines either. Not the only all. people who are usually dressed that way are usually businessmen and women. And that's because they're going to another another meeting or they're meeting somewhere else somewhere. But like most people, a majority of people do not come dressed to the nines. Right. If I'm hopping on a plane, I'm in sweats, period. Like, I mean, so it just, it really frustrated me that we're just in this kind of, and then, and then, and then the comment section did not pass the vibe check. Oh. Like everybody was like, oh yes, finally somebody said it. It's like, but I just, once again, I just, I can't, Daquan, I want to go back to that part where she was like, I don't, you don't deserve the title of queen if you're not dressed like a queen. It's like, what does a queen look like? A black woman, a black woman is a queen, period. Full stop. That's it. Like, that's it. No matter what she wears or how she presents herself. So it just frustrated me that a black woman that I respect, like Monique, and the things that she has done as a black woman, the the things that she has called out as a black woman, the fact that she has laid herself out as basically a sacrificial lamb to hopefully make it better for other black women in the future, and black entertainers and comedians. So absolutely, for someone as respected as her, in my in my you know um, uh, thing in my situation. Uh, like someone I respect as much as her, it just kind of really disappointed me that she would make an, uh, make a, a, a statement like that. And that because she's getting so much support from it that I don't think she'll probably apologize or rectify that. But again, we don't know. She may track back. She may, you know, learn because we're all growing. We're all learning. And this is not the end of Monique. This is not me canceling her right. or saying that I don't support her anymore, but I don't support that particular argument she made. Yeah, I agree. I think that it's one of those situations, like even thinking about who Monique is, like we have to recognize that she is a plus size black woman. And, you know, there's a lot of fat phobia. And as a plus size person, like if you are entering a space with just like sweats on, you're immediate being like, oh, you're sloppy, all of this. And so there are all of these things that are being in play. However, what we're talking about is like, that's not an excuse. That's not like, you can't be like, oh, well, like, this is how I was thinking about it. And, you know, completely negate yourself from any type of criticism. Like, we live in a time and a day where, like, every point that we make, like, even us, like, yes. anything that we say can be criticized. We can debate things and everything like that. So, like, again, this is not to, like, cancel or feed no. into cancel culture. But like, this is something where it's like, we do need to have conversations around this so that we're not perpetuating the same systems of oppression that makes us police ourselves and how we present. And it opened, and it's, and that, that her statement opened up the dialogue that probably many people have already had within their own spaces that hasn't been brought up like this. So in that way, I understand, like you said, and I like, I even take in the count, the fat phobia aspect of it, and like how um, uh, a larger or plus size black women or women in general, when they look a certain way or they're not presenting a certain way, they're seen as sloppy or trashy or whatever, whatever, more so than maybe a skinnier or whatever kind of um, a black woman like that or a, a, a uh, a, a less, a, a not considered plus size woman. So mm-hmm. I fully, like you said, we fully understand where that comes from and where those ideologies are formed. But like you said, it does not excuse what you said. And it does not mean that we're canceling Monique or that she's trash or like that. Monique is still that bitch, <laughs> period. 
But that comment, that that particular particular okay. <laughs> argument, it's a no for me. It's a hard pass. Right. Um, so let's get into this week's race conversation. Faith systems, baby, <laughs> baby. I want to ask you, Daquan, is religion a good thing? For some. <laughs> I, think, I think it's one of those things that in so many different faiths, people find solace in it. They find their community with their religion. They find their sense of purpose within their religion. You know, they find like who they are with religion. And that's mm-hmm. a good thing. You know, if we live on a floating rock where we've been just like twirling through space for thousands to millions of years. And so you want to have some way of understanding, like, why do we exist? Why are we here on this floating rock at this time? Um, and for a lot of people, religion is that go-to to be like, you know what? You know, this is how the world was created. This is why we're here, X, Y, Z. Um, so they do find their purpose. And that's a good thing for people because that provides them like a sense of way to go um, and places to be and a community to be around. Um, but we can't act like religion is this perfect entity when religion is constantly being weaponized against certain communities, whether it's black communities, gay communities, women, like all of these different um, community minority communities throughout history were weaponized, you had we- had religion weaponized against them. Yeah, I fully agree. I think that there are, for me, religion, I believe it can be a good thing. I think that there is definitely good bones there. It's definitely a way to kind of give purpose to a lot of people, like you said, and to give people a direction or some kind of solace and understanding of their place in the universe. Because a lot of people have that kind of existential crisis to figure out what does it all mean? And religion kind of answers that question for some. Um, but I, it's, it, the, for me, it's, it is a good thing, but there's so much wrong with it that it's hard. It, it's sometimes the good doesn't outweigh the bad, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Because evil exists in all forms of religion. You know, uh, it's, it, it is explained in all forms of religion. And there are um, good Christians and bad Christians and good voodooists and bad voodooists and good Wiccans and bad Wiccans or whatever you want to call it. There's a, there's a, back in, there's a black and white or a, a, a good and evil of everything. And I just feel like sometimes when we bring up the discussion of religion in general, there is a lot wrong in a lot of kind of, it, it comes across oftentimes to me, sometimes as a cultish mentality versus a community as it should be. You know, whereas we're discussing similar ideals and understanding each other's thought processes and, you know, getting to a good place with it and like, oh, you know, I really like this kind of fostering energy kind of thing, kind of, you know, coalescing, if you will. But oftentimes it goes from a coalition or a, or, or a convergence to more so someone directing and someone telling you exact, this is how it is, this is what it should be, and there is no other way. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, that totally makes sense. And I think that kind of gets to this idea of like spirituality versus religion. You know, I think that like spirituality is like this individual thing, like 
you and your relationship to whatever you believe in. But religion comes in as this institution, you know, like church is an institution. Like there are all of these different institutions. So when you institutionalize spirituality, you have to create some type of hierarchy. And as we know, when it comes to, you know, power and hierarchies, when somebody's at the top, they're going to want to stay at the top. So you can see this in like early Christianity when, you know, the Bible was in like Latin or whatever, and only certain people spoke Latin. So you had the, you know, the preachers being like the priests being like, hey, this is what it says. Meanwhile, everybody else cannot read it that way because they can't speak that language. Or there's so many different other ways, like even more recently, you know, people have questions about like gender in the church, you know, can there be female preachers and whatever right, like that. And that's a way of sustaining power. So I think that when spirituality becomes institutionalized into religion and power is introduced, that's where the evils come in. Oh, that right there. Oh, you said that. I Honestly, I think that is where I am with it. Um, For me, I consider myself more of a spiritual person. Um, I do not conform to any religion. If anybody asks me, I'm not Christian. I'm not Baptist. I'm not any of those faiths, any of the major faiths, because to me, I don't think that my my biggest problem with a lot of these faces honestly is the kind of arrogance that comes along with it because kind of like oh baby i'm right (laughs) like Mm -hmm. i'm right like this is our only god like this is the god of this is the way i mean there have been wars fought i mean literally look at all the christian religions like they all fight about the same thing just because somebody believes differently and i think that where i kind of get this like this this kind of distaste for religion Um, is because it's moved into this kind of cultish ideology where it's like I said before, there is only one interpretation and that is the only interpretation. And I think that that's where I have the problem because the reality is what people don't know about religion is that especially in the Bible, let's use Christianity because that's the most popular one. Mm -hmm. But the Bible in most arguments, murder and like a lot of these, like a lot of these arguments about whether it's right or wrong or whatever, 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 all these arguments, the Bible has a argument for both sides. You see what I'm saying? Like right. where it says thou shalt not kill, but it also says an eye for an eye. Like there is this oftentimes there's this, what is it called? Um, there is this back and forth between it. Because truth is, it can be interpreted in whatever way you choose to interpret it. It can be interpreted to benefit whatever argument you're you're taking. Does that make sense? And that's where I get my biggest problem is because everybody wants to say, this is exactly what it is. And I'm telling you as the preacher or the priest or the whatever, or the, the high priestess or whatever, this is exactly how you're supposed to do it. If you don't do it this way, it's wrong. And it's like that, that's not it. Like that ain't it, sis. Because I feel like in every situation, if you can, as a preacher, interpret the same verse in a completely different way from a preacher and in a completely different church, if we are not all in agreement about the same thing, then this cannot be what it says. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, it's not like the sky is blue. You know what I mean? And period. Like, that, it's not full stop. Everything is interpreted. That's what a preacher does. A preacher interprets the Bible for the congregation, which means that the preacher is not the end all be all and that their interpretation does not mean that that is the right or wrong interpretation. 
in this as as a as a as a because as a kid if you didn't if you don't notice I like to ask a lot of questions and so in church I would always backtrack with the preacher and like in, in my with my mom about God or whatever because I'm like this doesn't make any sense because we all want to say oh this is what it is this is exactly how it goes this is what you're supposed to do and it's like but then if you look at this passage or if you look at this situation like I, like I said my biggest thing when I always with Christians I always do this thing when everybody's like oh yes I know the Bible I know what it is I'm always like, okay so does God love Satan and they're always be like oh of course not I'm kind of like but God is perfect God loves everything and all things so to mean, so to hate something or to dislike something is to not be God. That is an imperfection. And they go into the whole thing. And then I go into the fact of like, why did God suffer Satan to live? And I go into the whole thing, because like I said before, I want to get down and break it down to the point where I let people know, like, you don't know. Mm. You don't know. And that's what I wish that people would understand is I, I wish that people would get to the point and say, like, listen, this is what I hope is true. I don't know because I'm not dead. Exactly. And it's one of those things that like, if you've ever taken like religion classes or, you know, classes that like kind of teach you how to think like a theologian, like everybody has their own hermeneutics and like hermeneutics is just like a fancy term for like a kind of frame of viewing things. Um, and there's a lot of theologian and religion scholars that will talk about the importance of social location um, mm -hmm. because that influences how you interpret the Bible or whatever religious text that you're viewing. Um, so it's one of those things that like who you are and like the place that you come from all um, kind of affects how you view a certain religious text or a certain scripture or whatever. So it's one of those things that, you know, it begs a question, can religion be community-based when so many different people come from so many different places and they have different hermeneutics, they have different frames of interpreting, or should we use religion to be this personal kind of faith system and understand it, how we're coming from it? Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I say like, and one of my favorite quotes, um, uh, one of my favorite quotes I've heard is from Socrates, and it's the idea of the only true wisdom is knowing that you know nothing. Mm. And Socrates, back and if you read a lot about him and, and some of the uh the what he what he went to jail for and how he got, died, like the, the whole thing, you know, it was always like he would argue with a lot of different people of a lot of who who who, who claimed to be the top in their field. And he would always dismantle their arguments because the reality is we only have interpretations of things. We interpret things. And I think that, like I said, my biggest issue with religion is I don't have a problem with people believing, but it's the arrogance of, oh, you need to believe exactly what I believe or you're going to hell or you're wrong. And that's what I actually did. Do you think that trying to convert others is a sign of arrogance? I think so. I think that it's one of those things that I know in so many different, you know, religions, it talks about like salvation and you should bring people forth to salvation and, you know, baptize them or whatever. A lot of we're saying Christianity terms because like that's what I'm most familiar with, but it's in a lot of different religions. Um, so it's one of those things where it's like you shouldn't convert like you shouldn't go out and try to convert everybody that's literally how we had 
wars. That's literally how colonization became such a huge thing because you had these people who were like, we know it all. We have the right ideas. We have the right moral grounds. We have the right ethics. So we're going to go out and tell people that they're wrong and that they're uncivilized and that if they don't convert to our religion, if they don't convert to our standards of morality or whatever, they're going to suffer. And so it becomes this thing where it's kind of seen as arrogance because you feel like they come at you like they're just completely right. When in reality, there's so many different religions. There's so many different faith systems. And it kind of begs a question, like if there was one right thing, why is there so many different religions? Like if there was something that was just completely right, like the end all be all, you would think that eventually after, you know, centuries, <laughs> millenniums of being on this planet that we would just be like, hey, this is right. And <laughs> end it. But there's so many different faith systems. And I think that especially when you have people who are like, I'm not religious or like, I don't want to be religious, like trying to convert them out of their will, like that's just disrespectful. That's that's exactly it. We I mean we I mean like you said we there is no there's people who who believe the earth is flat. Like you know what I'm saying? So like it's just my thing is when it it's comes to con- wrong. <laughs> obviously wrong. But like I said it's just my thing is this. It the conversion thing the biggest problem I have with conversion the reason why I call like I I believe absolutely it is a sign of arrogance is because I feel like religion in and of itself should be a tool it is a tool that you can or cannot use. For some, they use hammers. For other people, they use drills. And some people don't use tools at all. But I don't think that you have to go out and buy a hammer, that everybody has to own a hammer. Everybody has to own a tool. And that's how I kind of see religion is the same way. It's kind of like if someone says and goes to Home Depot and says, hey, can I get a hammer? And someone's like, absolutely. There are these hammers right here that you can get. Do you want this hammer, that hammer, or that hammer? But I don't think Home Depot should come knocking on your door going, hey, you need to get a hammer because you're wrong if you have a hammer. And that's how I feel about religion. It's like, if I go and say, you know what? I really like um, Christianity. I really want to know more about that. So I go to a church and I say, hey, I want to learn more about Christianity. How can I be a Christian? And they say, glad you asked. And here's the, um, the blah, 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 or whatever. I think that's, how religion should be. And the same goes for children. I don't like the idea of impressing religion upon kids mm. because they grow up with these, a lot of times, very sexist, homophobic ideologies placed upon them so early on in life before they even get a chance to realize, hell, do I even fuck with Christianity like that? Right. It's like one of those things where it's like, oh, here it is. This is what you need to believe in. And they don't even have the chance to kind of like, you know, explore, explore themselves and explore what's out there and what resonates with them. You're just like cutting any chance that they have to make a choice. I, I, I love that word to just use, resonate. That is exactly how religion should feel. It shouldn't feel like something that's pressing on you. It should feel something that you're seeking out. This speaks to you. 
when you hear someone talk about God and when you hear someone talk about um, uh, the Wicca God and Goddess or the Voodoo Loas or whatever, when you hear that, when you, when you feel that, when you, you get a feeling, a sense of knowing, a sense of purpose, a sense of solace, like you said earlier, that's what I feel religion should evoke from you. And I feel like, yes, I understand wanting your children to grow up in the things that you uh, uh, were introduced to, but I think that it's, instead of saying, this is what you have to do, I think they're saying, how do you feel about this? Right. How does this make you feel? Do you feel anything from this? And they're like, no, mom, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't really rock with it like that. I feel like forcing a child to go to Sunday school, forcing a child to go to church every Sunday, it doesn't make them Christian. Exactly. You know what I mean? I Growing up, I went to church often. Uh, my grandma was a big Bible, uh, uh, she was a, uh, a Baptist or whatever. And we went to church almost every Sunday. You know, and I'm like, I'm not Christian because it, it didn't speak to me. And anytime that I got close to it, to it speaking to me, I would always get impressed on the homophobia. Every, I'm telling Daquan, no bullshit. Every fucking time I've gotten close to being like, you know what? This is actually, I kind of rap. Ooh. Leviticus, <laughs> hell, damnation. And I'm just like, damn, like, and so that's honestly the homophobia and the, the, the arrogance in the Christian church is what pushed me from the Christian church. Instead of it being a tool of guidance, it became a tool that was pushed on me, impressed on me, and forced upon me. And not saying it was my mom, but it was the people in the church. It was the preacher. It was the. It was just the feel of the church and, and all. Like yes, this is exactly what it is, and blah blah blah. And nobody wanting to let me find me. And like I said, and now as an adult, twenty-two years old, I have found my own sense of faith. I have found my own sense of uh, solace and appreciation. I don't know what's out there, but what I call the deity out there is God and God loves me for me. That's what I call it, but I don't know if that's who it is. And what I say to myself is, this is what I believe. This is how I feel about faith. This is what I do. This is how I pray. This is how I you know, interpret God. And that's my interpretation for me because individual. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, and I completely agree. I think that, you know, I think this gets at a larger question of, you know, how we view children and their rights or their consciousness or their ability to consent. But I think that these things should be a conversation. Like it shouldn't be like, all right, time for church, pack it up. We're going Yeah. like, Hey, you know, church is a important thing for, you know, me and the rest of our family. And, you know, it's this thing that we go to each week to practice our faith. Um, would you like to come? Like there should be this conversation and asking before just like forcing somebody there. And I think then people would have a better relationship with religion because it's not something that like people feel like they're trapped into. It's something that like, you know what? I was asked and I was curious. So I came and, you know, maybe then it resonated with me. And so I went, or maybe, you know, I'm not really feeling the vibe. And then it can be like, can I do something else? Can I just like work on my homework? Can I, you know, find some way to like have that be a choice for somebody? That's, I feel like religion honestly should be more like college where it's like, there are multiple majors and you can change majors whenever you feel like it's like, okay, this one kind of works. I kind of like that one. I don't really kind of like that one. I kind of like this, but I kind of like, I don't like that. Or I like this, I like that and whatever, whatever. And like really kind of exposing them to all the faith out there and saying, okay, which one of these doctrines do you like? Or do you like any of them? 
or do any of them speak to you at all? None of them, like for me, like it just, or even the, the reality of like taking aspects of religion or aspects of faith from other religions. So like you take a little bit from Wicca, you take a little bit from Voodoo, you take a little bit from Baptist and you make your own kind of feeling of like, okay, this is what it is. Like you can still be, you can still be quote unquote Christian and still practice magic or practice sorcery or whatever you want to call it. You know what I'm saying? You can still be a Christian Wiccan or a pagan Catholic or whatever you want to call it because it's not a specific set of instructions. You can, you can be a quote unquote good Christian and still use crystals. You can still be a good Christian and, you know, uh, pray to Lois, if you will, because it's all about what gives you that sense. And I think that that's where I kind of feel that we should get to as society is like, there are way too many religions out here for any of us to feel like we got this shit together. And so I feel like it should be more moved to like, these are all these doctrines. And there are aspects of all these doctrines that might speak to you. And if you want to, you can take none of them or you can use aspects of them to create your own and foster your own connection if you do want one. Right. And kind of like create this type of religious plural, pluralism, um, you know, where like different things can like coexist um, within a same household. And I think that kind of gets at this conversation of like, you know, when we, when we just like break it down to the bare bones of what every religion says, you would find that there's a lot of overlap. There's a lot of different things that are the foundation of so many different religions. And so when you have like the essence of so many different religions being the same thing, I don't see why you can't exist in the same spaces. Ooh. Daquan, say that one more time. One more time. <laughs> when religion, when the foundation of so many different religions are the same thing, I don't see why they can't coexist in the same spaces. And that is on period. The fundamentals of so many of the major religions, even the lower, even the non-Western religions, so many of them follow the same doctrines of do harm to none. Even Wicca, the one uh, Wicca and Voodoo, like it's just the, the Wiccan read is do uh, anything you do out is going to come back to you threefold. So if you work dark energy or dark magic on someone or uh, a work darkness on someone, that's going to come back to you because you're putting out energy and you're bringing it back to yourself. Christianity is the same way. If you praise for someone's downfall, God's going to put, it's going to be karma. It's going to come back on you kind of thing. So it's like when they say the whole thing, don't, don't let everybody pray for you kind of thing. It's kind of like, you don't know who they're praying to that whole aspect. So it's kind of like, there are so many elements. There's so many foundational pieces of a, a society, uh, so many foundational pieces of being a good person or what being a good person is. In, I mean, I took a religious class, if you I didn't notice. I, obviously, me and Dick Carbo <laughs> did a little bit of research in that area. But like in my religion class, I just really found out that so many of them really are the same. I mean, literally, everything is about being good to people, doing right by people, being a Loving nice others. person. Huh? Loving others. Loving others, you know, um, um, spreading the wealth. I mean, so much of it. And, and what is it? Enlightenment. A lot of religions are about enlightenment, enlightening, enlightening yourself. And that's in Christianity with spiritualism, everything. So it's like, there's so much connectedness within so many religions. 
in the fact that we are so separated and so broken apart and so just, oh, I don't, oh, I don't fuck with that or I don't, oh God, that is blah, blah. Instead of actually opening up your ears and listening and listening to what people are saying, listening to what they're asking, listening to what they believe. And it's kind of like, I think that if some people would just shut the fuck up and stop trying to argue, they would understand, oh, wait, shit, we think the same thing. Go ahead. Like, it's one of those things that, you know, when you listen, when you kind of bounce ideas back and forth, when you talk to people of other faith systems, you'll realize, hey, you know, we have things in common. That's natural as human beings. So it's one of those things that I think, you know, religion can be the start and end of many wars. Um, And it's one of those things that like, we just need to be able to stop, be like, let's, you know, for a second, let's just turn off that part of our minds where it's like, everything we say is right, we got the answer, and just like, hear somebody out. And then you'll be like, hmm, you know what, I like that. Um, Or I like that certain part. And I think that connects back to my religion, because in scripture, X, Y, Z, chapter, whatever, book, whatever, And then that's how you create dialogues. And that's how you create places where religion can be, you know, liberatory for people. Religion can be something that's used for good to build community. Absolutely. And and it it also begs the question, like, because as African-Americans specifically, me and and Daquan were both raised in Black families. And were you raised in a Baptist community or what kind of Christianity were you? Baptist. Yeah, Southern, usually Southern Baptist. And like, it's, it, for us to even have this conversation is almost unheard of in black circles, period, because it's God or nothing. And it's like, I wanted to, and this begs the question here, like, why is it that non-Western faith systems are allowed to be criticized, but Christianity is like, nah, baby, mm-mm. <laughs> nothing to be said. And it's, it's mostly in the black community. What do you think that is, Daquan? Um, racism. <laughs> I feel like racism is my go-to answer, but if we think about it, like, it does have some sort of racist undertones to it, you know? A lot of African Americans were introduced to Christianity by white people. Christianity has been a tool that's been used to uphold white supremacy. Christianity has been a tool to fuel colonization. Um, And so I think that it's one of those things where you know, it seemed like Christianity should be respected um, as like this Western religion. But like, I remember, you know, on TikTok, uh, there was this person talking about Papa Leva and was like doing all of these things. And somebody who's Haitian, who's, you know, generations have been, you know, a practitioner of that religion has been like, hey, you know, you're spreading wrong information. Like, it's actually pronounced this. And like, you know, giving the actual history of their faith. And this white person was like, no, you're wrong. And, you know, you're this big black person, you know, <laughs> telling all of this, all of this wrong things. I know what I'm saying. And it's like, who are, who are you as a white person to tell a black person about a black religion? And I think, you know, even if we spread this to other types of religions, like, even in Islam, there's this thing where, you know, especially like 
white gays love to you know down talk islam and muslim communities because it's like oh they're homophobic but some of the same people won't talk about homophobic you know people in christianity or they'll talk about oh islam is so oppressive to women because you know they have to wear hijabs and all of that stuff and it's like why do we always have to criticize you know non-christian if we're being honest non-christian faiths but you know the moment you talk about oh christianity is oppressive to so many different communities you have these conversations where it's like oh well like not all christians are like that or those are just like the extreme christ or it's one of those things and it's like well why don't y'all keep that same energy with other religions why don't y'all keep that same energy with other faith systems like Every other faith system is a monolith to you, but Christianity is the one thing that can have nuance in your life. Make that make sense. Honestly, like, and let's just really call a spade a spade, baby. Um, Every major religion and even some of the smaller ones, well, let me just, all religion is sexist because we live in a patriarchal society. So let's just, let's, let's just say that. Let's just get that out of the way. Like, it's all oppressive to women because it's made because most of them are taken over by men, even though I'm pretty sure there are plenty of women who started religions, men probably took them over because patriarchy exists. You know what I'm saying? So like we were talking about before. Who said? Institutionalized, like we yes. were talking about before. Absolutely. So it's like, let's just start there. Like Christianity is one of the most oppressive religions too, on the top of the fact that literally in the Bible, Eve is supposedly the, the end of all mankind and is the reason why we all suffer, quote unquote, a woman is responsible for the downfall of humanity. I mean, and you don't think that has long generational institutional um, effects on how Christianity uh, approaches women or sees women. The fact that there is very, there's still a dialogue of if women can be preachers in a black church there's still a, so let's not act like, and I mean, we can go, we can honestly have this conversation all day. All religions have that element to them because we live in a patriarchal society. We live in a racist society. We live in a homophobic, transphobic society. I mean, we can go on and on about that. So let's just get that out of the way, baby. Christianity is oppressive. Islam may be oppressive. You know, there's, uh, there's oppressive elements to all religions. But there goes the dialogue, like you said, of having that conversation. Like you said, being able to criticize, like, yes, Islam can be oppressive, but Christianity can too. And Wicca can too. And Voodoo can too. In and whatever way. Choices to practice in certain ways. And that's where the problem lies. It's not oppressive if it is your choice to be a part of that faith system. If a woman says, I want to practice modesty in the Islam faith. That is not oppressive because she has chosen that for herself. It, it becomes oppressive when there are men, fathers, uh, brothers, cousins, people like that, who impress that upon young women who do not choose that faith or who do not choose to follow that same read. There, there are some women who are put out of their houses because they don't want to practice certain faith systems or certain Islamic practices. So in the same vein, Christianity too. A lot of gay people have been put out of the house because they, because they are, are being who they are, because of how oppressive certain uh, religions are, because of where these, um, because honestly, how Christianity honestly in, in introduced 
a lot of these oppressive elements, what well, colonization maybe, let's go with, let's go with that, has in introduced all that, um, all those uh, oppressive elements to them. But the religion in and of itself, the core of Islam, the core of Wicca and voodoo, the core of Christianity is not oppressive. It is the people that make it oppressive. Say that again. <laughs> the core of all religions is not oppressive. It is the people that make it oppressive. And that's the problem that I have with our society is that we're forgetting the fact of where this all comes from. Because again, because religion can be interpreted People can use what they read in a way that benefits them. Mm. In a way that keeps people enslaved, like we did in the back in the day, with um with whites, with white colonizers telling black people that as long as you believe in and believe in God, you're gonna get rewarded for being a good slave in this life. Right. It's all up to interpretation. It's all up to how you use it. So that's, and that's my biggest thing when I go back to that evil Christians thing is because there are Christians who use the Bible to further oppressive goals. Even though the Bible, I mean, I don't say, they honestly be like, fuck the part that says love thy neighbor. Fuck that. Like they just completely disregard that scripture in favor of man should not lie with whatever the fuck or whatever other I can't bird box. Who is that? I don't, I don't see that. So like I said before, it, it, it all is the, it, it is internal. It is, it is personal. It is how you interpret it and how you use it. Yeah. And I agree. And I think that, you know, we see a lot of times, especially in America, the ways that somebody's personal beliefs, you know, goes into different systems and entities that influences others. So I'm thinking specifically about the ways that, you know, faith and religious conservatism is used in like our government and, you know, you know, big corporations. And so I want to ask you the question, what place does faith and religious conservatism have or should have in our government and private sector corporations? See, and that is an amazing question, Daquan. I honestly think that there's a reason why church and state are separated and why they were for so long and why having the church be the sole um, decider of all things, the sole judge, uh, judge during executioner was a problem for so many centuries. And the reason being is because of the interpretations. And I think that when it comes to church and the government and church and the Christianity, because of, well, let's be real, most of our laws, a lot of the oppressive laws that we have were based in religion. The reason why gay men and women could not get married was because of religion. There is no biological, there is no dangerous reason as to why a man and a man cannot get married or a woman and a woman cannot get married. There is no logical argument. And hear what I say, hear what I say here, because opinion, is not fact. Let's just, let's get that out of the way. And whether you wanna believe it or not, whether you believe it's whatever you wanna say, your religion is an opinion, Ooh, not a fact. Some people are hurt. Some people uh, are hurt. Oh, some people just let the, some people just dislike this video right now. After that, some people stop right there. But let's just be really real with you right now. Every religion is an opinion. And that opinion does not equate facts. So when gay marriage was 
illegal and it was, oh, I could, I can't. Every single argument against gay men and gay women getting married was all religious based. Every single one. In the only quote unquote trying to be the uh, the straw man uh, uh, um, uh, rolling down the hill fan is like this this whole fallacy that they were trying to use was like oh if we let um, slippery slope that's what I'm looking for the slippery slope fallacy is like well if we let gay men get married the people gonna marry dogs how you go from people to animals I... where where. I don't understand how that equates or equals. So like I said, the straw man fallacies, the slippery slope fallacies, all these arguments because the core of all the arguments was based in opinion. The core of all these arguments was based in just your faith. And that has no place in the government. But Daquan, what do you think? I agree. I, I, I think that we see religion playing too much of a role in our government and in policies, especially now. Um, especially like in recent years of like how you know chick-fil-a that has like all of these christian values has been funneling money into anti-trans bills across this nation like in the past few months there has been a record number of anti-trans bills that have been you know pushed into legislation and being passed in certain states and a Chick-fil-A is producing a lot of that money because, you know, it's this Christian corporation and it has its values. And I think that that's the prop, like, you know, it's one of those things that there should be, of course, the separation between church and state, but also when businesses can, you know, lobby and pour money into certain um, politicians to get certain things passed, then, you know, these corporations are being intertwined with the state. And so even like private sector corporations, when you place your like religious beliefs onto other people, like it's one thing to have like a Christian bookstore. So you only feature Christian books in your bookstore. However, the moment you have this multi-million dollar empire and you use that to influence politicians to basically do your bidding that's when you have this intersection of church and state that is dangerous and needs to be stopped yeah and i think that my biggest concern in those things uh those particular conversations is specifically the fact that you know we forget that corp that you the discrimination aspects of those corporations and the fact that if you are funneling money into anti-trans bills you're discriminating against lgbt plus people that completely conflicts with your quote unquote Christian values and it conflicts with your business practices. That's right. that you do not discriminate, yet you're funding discrimination. I don't, I don't get why that's not talked about. Like this is the same thing if, if Starbucks is funding the Ku Klux Klan, like what the fuck? Right, like it's one of those things that like, it's- If, such by the way, Starbucks don't sue, I'm sorry. If, I said if. <laughs> right, we're not, we're not claiming. We know Chick Fil A. We know Chick Fil A. <laughs> the the numbers are there. The numbers are also there for Chick Fil A. You know, funneling money into gay conversion yeah. camps to like try to convert gay people to being straight, quote unquote. And you know, all of those dangerous things. And it's one of those things that, like, at the end of the day, like us as consumers, that homophobic chicken ain't worth it. You know, it really ain't. Go to Zaxby's, like. <laughs> 
I mean, they may be problematic too. However, the point still stands that like we as people need to be more cognizant of the ways religion is being put into our government and understanding, you know, where do these policies come from? Who's funding certain corporations or certain foundations or certain political entities and understand that like religion is this individual thing. Not all of us practice the same religion. America as a country was founded on religious freedom. And we need to make sure that like we are allowing people to practice whatever religion, if they even have a religion and practice their own faith systems in a way that doesn't impress them onto other people and their lives. I have a question for you, Daquan. Um, so back, go, going back to what you just brought up, I wanted to say, do you think, so does the same, in the same vein about separating the church from state and separating corporations from that too, do you think the C, so if the CEO of Chick-fil-A was using his own personal funds and his own personal revenue from his own situations to um, fund anti-trans bills, is that the same reflect, does that in turn make the entire system of Chick-fil-A homophobic by um, association. I wanna ask you that. So let's say it wasn't just for argument's sake, let's say that um, Chick-fil-A, um, the, the, the businesses itself, the business funds are not being used for that, but the CEO's personal funds or the personal checks they get from being the CEO was used to fund it. Is that still the same thing? I don't think it's the same thing it's still semi-problematic. Like, you know, sure, it's the individual doing whatever the individual wants. Like, however, when that, that individual has so much influence, it begs the question, like, what else is their influence doing within it? So like yeah. their, their funding is not necessarily making the corporation homophobic. However, they can be making decisions on, you know, who else is in that C-suite, who's getting hired, who's being put in certain places, and what organizations the uh, foundate the or the corporation can, you know, charitably fund. And those are the ways that it gets to be problematic and homophobic. Um, I love that answer, Daquan. I was so hoping you was gonna say just that because that's where we're going with the whole police thing. Is that just because not every police officer in the force is a problem, if the root, if the top, if the inception of it is racist and violent against minorities, then all the others are bad by association. Such is the same in this case even if it was just the one person at the top of the food chain who was homophobic and racist and funded homophobic and racist policies. Because they are at the top, they can pick and choose who they get, which will likely be other homophobic, other racist, other sexist people in positions of power that will inevitably trickle down until the whole entire system is infected. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly where that comes from. So I think, and I fully agree with you. I fully agree with you said. I, I just, I had, I just want to ask. I knew, I knew he's gonna pop off, but I just want to ask you because that's exactly what it is in this situation, in all the situations, and the same thing with religion. The inception of religion is pure. The inception of what it's supposed to be and what it's supposed to stand for, what Christianity, Wicca, Voodoo, all these other religions, what they're supposed to stand for is love, 
peace, kindness, and serenity. But because so many people have put in their hands and decided to twist the words to benefit their own personal hates, own personal vendettas, own personal God hates fags, God hates this, God hates that, twisting and pulling and tearing apart this religion to make it into what they want it to be, that's the problem. Period. (laughs) (laughs) But that's it. That's it. So I want to ask you, Daquan, do you think that as far as celebrities and like social media and stuff like that, should you should you share your religion on social media? Is that a good is that a good place to have that kind of conversation? I think that is one of those things where it depends. Like, you know, <laughs> for example, like I recently graduated. A lot of my friends recently graduated. I've seen so many different posts about like you know, I finally made it. Thank God I got here. Like he helped me or whatever, whatever. And I think, you know, something like that is fine. You know, if it's you and your personal celebration, like you do you, it's your own social media platform. However, if you're trying to use your social media platform to like, kind of be like, hey, the way you're thinking about this situation is wrong. You know, the Bible tells me X, Y, and Z. And like, you know, going back to our conversation about like converting people, that's where it becomes like this problem. And I think like even celebrities to a certain extent, like they have even more of an influence. So, you know, if a celebrity is posting, you know, I woke up this morning and really wanted to thank God for like waking me up this morning. You know what? Fine. Like if I don't like it, I can just scroll. Yes. Like you are like badgering people to be Christian or to profess Christian values or whatever religion, that's where it becomes a problem. I think that there needs to be a understanding there when you are sharing your faith. So I think that it's more about just understanding again, like this is me and my interpretation of faith. If you are a religious person and you just love God and that's what you want to use your social media for, I have no problem with that. Because once again, we're opening dialogues or opening, just like we are right now. We're talking about religion right now. We're opening dialogues, but I'm not trying to make you into something. I'm not trying to use my platform to convert you. These conversations that Daquan and I have are simply out there. They are dialogues, they are conversations. They are, not a, they are not a means to say, we have the final answer. What we say go and that's the fuck it. No, that's not how that works. And I think that my issue sometimes a certain kind of Christian page is kind of like, baby, you don't know because if you ain't right with God, ain't shit gonna happen right in your life. So you need to get your shit together. People going into people's DMs and stuff like that. And like reaching out to people, like I told, I don't know if I told you, I said this on the podcast before, but there was a guy one time, I was just talking to him about stuff and we were just having a conversation. He was um, talking to my mom, whatever, we were just having a conversation. And then one randomly, like my mom, he was, he was my mom's friend, but I would talk to him because he would just be in the house. So I was like, you know, hey, how you doing? And he knew that I was gay. And um one day my mom was telling me like, uh, so this guy wants your number. I'm kind of like, what the fuck he want my number for? Like, I'm like, oh, oh I, I mean, like, why? Like, why does he want to text me? He's like, she's like, I don't know who just wants your number. I'm kind of like, well, what does he want? Why can't he just tell you? I don't fucking know him. Like what, what, you know what I mean? Like what's, what's the, what's the issue here? It's like, I don't know. Just, just say something. Just here's the number. Text him if you feel like it. I don't know. So I was like, okay. Like, 
you know, hey, you wanted to ask me something or whatever, like question mark, send the message. And he texts back, oh, I just got to tell you, God has led me in your life for a reason and blah, 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 blah. And God is here for me. And I don't know how long the journey is going to take for us to get to this place, but he, he has brought me into like to fix and help. And I was kind of like, pause, sir, get the fuck off my phone. I said, I was <laughs> blocked. I said, I respectfully decline your help. Have a nice fucking day. Me and God are just fine. Block, goodbye, like never again. And it just pissed me off because I'm like, bitch, in no, in no way, shape, fashion, or form that I offer that, that conversation. Right. And then no, in no way that I even offer that I'm looking for God, quote unquote, or whatever. And for you to just assume that because I'm gay, that means I'm not right with God. Get the fuck out of my face, son. Like, don't like, don't come to me with that if unless I sin for you. Like, honestly, like, clock out. Like, clock out for me, please. Like, and I was just so annoyed. And that's how I feel about social media. It's kind of like, if you're just sharing your faith and you're on social media, you're like, God is good and whatever, whatever. By all means, if you think of God, God, by all means, do you, baby. Do you, do you. Right. Baby. If, you know, one day you read a certain scripture and it really resonated with you and yes. you just wanted to, like, post a quick pick with it, that's fine. Yes, or if you want to have a conversation with someone about the religion that you're practicing, that's fine too. But I think the problem goes with like, oh, you're seeking out. It's the, it's the um, like I said, the attacking, the going after people that I have a problem with. So social media, yeah. sharing religion, that's not an issue. But it's the attacking. It is the coming for people. It is the consistent barrage of you're living your life wrong if you're not believing how I believe. It's like, no, this, if you're a religious page, I believe this. This is what I believe. And this is why it speaks to me because of blank, blank, and blank. But not, I'm going to make you, God, I'm going to make you right with God. Get the fuck out of here with that bullshit. Like, right. And that's how I feel about that on period. So, Daquan, anything else to offer this conversation? I think at the end of the day, you know, every religion should be respected. But we also need to remember that people outside of these religions should also be respected. And that's on period. So... So many little boys and girls grow up never knowing the full scope of what their culture has contributed to society and history. So it's time for a change. Let's take a pause, rewind, and remind the world just how <laughs> we did that. Now, in the article, 29 Facts About Black History That You Might Not Know, they discuss Anna Murray, who was the first African-American woman to be ordained as an Episcopal priest. Now, this fiery woman exchanged letters with both Eleanor and Franklin Roosevelt for many years and was considered one of Eleanor's dear friends. Although her work was rather sadly faded from view, Murray's expertise in law was a vital part of the civil rights movement. She worked closely with icons like Thurgood Marshall and Rosa Parks and was appointed by President Kennedy to the Presidential Commission of the Status of Women in the 1960s, where her work was focused on Jane Crow, how discrimination against Black people particularly and deeply affected Black women in the ways in which sexism and racism combined to affect Black women. Murray died of cancer in 1985. In the last decade or so, her work has been brought back to the light through various efforts, including making her childhood home a national historic landmark in a blockbuster dual biography of Murray and Eleanor Roosevelt, The Firebrand and the First Lady was published. Black women. Uh, <laughs> black women. Period. <laughs> 
that's it. Um, and so for mines, I wanted to highlight the story of uh, Lucy Hicks Anderson, a Black trans pioneer. And so this comes from blackpast.org. So Lucy was born in Waddy, Kentucky in 1886. When Lucy entered school, she insisted on wearing dresses and began calling herself Lucy. Her mother took her to a physician and the doctor advised her mother to rear Lucy as a girl. When it was discovered that Lucy was assigned male at birth, the Ventura County District Attorney decided to try her for perjury. According to the district attorney, she had committed perjury when she signed the application for a marriage license as it was illegal for two quote unquote men to marry. Lucy though challenged the authority of the physicians who insisted that she was male and fought for her right to be married. She said, I defy any doctor in the world to prove that I am not a woman. Anderson told reporters in the midst of her perjury trial. I have lived, dressed, acted just what I am, a woman. A jury convicted her, but the judge placed her on probation for 10 years rather than send her to prison and banned her from wearing women's clothes. Afterwards, the federal government charged Lucy and her husband with fraud because Lucy was receiving substance allotments as the wife of a soldier and sentenced them to separate federal prisons. The town of Oxnard, California also banned the couple for 10 years. So they took up residency in Los Angeles as husband and wife where Lucy lived until her death in 1954. And so I just wanted to highlight that because like, just A, recognize, you know, some of these people say like all of these conversations about trans people just like mm. popped up in the last 10, 20 years, but Lucy was born in 1884, 1886, 1886. These conversations been been being had. Black trans women have been fighting for their right to get married way before Stonewall even happened. So just another reminder during Pride Month that like Black trans women. I mean, period. And that, just talking about that, it harkens back to the conversation we had. Just look how deeply religious values, quote unquote, and I do say that with quote unquote, has torn lives apart simply because of belief, simply because of a different belief. And it frustrates me so bad to know in that this woman, this woman had to go through that just to love who she wanted to love and be who the fuck she was. That's on some bullshit. Now, as always, Thank you all so much for tuning in and watching and keeping the conversation going. Keep it going down in the comment box below, y'all. Don't forget to give this video a thumbs up. And if you are listening to us on our podcast, please rate and review on whatever platform you're using. If you want to follow us on social media, our handles are at Andre Talks A Lot and at Daquan950. Now, we'll see you all next week on the Melanin Margin, where conversations about race are never off the table.